Hi, I'm Varun Haran. I'm Managing Director for Asia and Middle East with Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking with Ashish Thapar, who is Managing Principal APJ for Verizon's Threat Research Advisory Center, or VTRAC, for Verizon Business. And we're going to be discussing, as we do each year, the 2020 edition of one of the most anticipated reports in the industry, the Verizon DBIR, or Data Breach Investigations Report. The report is in its 13th year this year, and this year's edition is built on the analysis of a record total of 157,500 incidents, uh, out of which around 4,000 are confirmed data breaches. So I think without further ado, I am really uh, eager to get into this. Ashish, pleased to have you with us again. Welcome. Thank you very much, Varun. Uh, great to be speaking with you. Always a pleasure, Ashish. And I think we've been speaking on this report every year for the last four years. And uh, the research that you guys do into these breaches worldwide, it's the year 2020 and what a year it's been so far. What has changed in the report's approach and methodology? Yeah, thanks, Varun. In fact, the core foundation of our report's methodology continues to be the same framework, which is called VERIS, uh, vocabulary for event recording and incident sharing. What has changed is, number one, we have increased the set of contributors. We have 81 contributors spread across the world. In terms of the incidents, you made a good point in terms of 157,000 odd incidents analyzed. But, you know, we have a very strict quality assurance check criteria through which only 32,000 incidents passed through and uh, made it for the report. However, almost a double number of 3,950 breaches that we have actually depicted in our report this year. Few things we are doing for the first time in this report. We have expanded our industry vertical segments from nine to 15 vertical segments this year, wherein we talk about the specific focus areas that each and every industry vertical leader needs to take rather than getting lost in this year's uncertainty and doubt created by generic findings across the board. So that's one. Second is we have delved for the first time ever into regional segments. So we have four segments identified in North America, EMEA, Asia Pacific, and Latin America. So that's again the first. We have also created a specific segment for small and medium businesses because they have a very different challenge. They are not as resourced as the, the bigger boys in the industry, but they still face similar amount of threat. So how do they cope up with it? What are the top priorities for them is an important segment in the report. And last but not the least, for the first time, we have started mapping to some of the external standards into various framework, for example, MITRE attack framework from a TTP perspective, as well as from a recommendation standpoint, we have started benchmarking our recommendations back to critical security controls from center of intent security. So that's something which is new. In terms of what are the key takeaways from the report, I think certain things are not really changing in terms of the, the action varieties, right? So if you talk about credential theft, social attacks, which is phishing or business email compromise and errors, they cause majority of the breaches. 67% or more breaches were caused by just these three action varieties. The other thing is we see ransomware is everywhere. You know, it's really getting up the stack. It's 27% of the malware incident, and it's really a problem that is becoming bigger and complex as we move forward. In fact, we have a cutoff of the report in December, but, you know, we have actually after December, which is outside the purview of this report, we have started seeing that ransomware is also contributing to breaches, which is like exfiltration of data. I think the other few things I will just quickly highlight is web applications were a part of 43% of breaches, which is double the results from last year. That I think goes back to the fact that more and more organizations are moving towards cloud services. And of course, that makes sense for attackers to follow where the victims are going, right? So we see huge angle from a web application perspective in terms of the attacks and breaches, right? Personal data, 
is again a major asset that is getting compromised. So it was involved in about 58% of breaches, which is again double, almost double the percentage in last year's data set. And I think I'll put last point and I'll give it back to you. The number of breaches which are related to internal errors, which is misdelivery or misconfiguration, is again significantly higher than last year. Again, something that we have seen that maybe it has happened because of improved reporting requirements, but also I would say frequent mistakes being made because of hushed up cloud transformation. Although the data set is still December 2019, but I think that actually significantly increased this year because we would see more and more organizations trying to take the path of digital disruption, or I would say forced digital disruption because of COVID-19 situation. That's great, Ashish. I mean, you've covered a lot of ground there. Perhaps we can break that down a bit at a time. Uh, you did speak a bit about the top threats, right? You mentioned ransomware and other things. Can you expand a bit on that from a global perspective? What are some of the top threats emerging from this research this year? And who are the victims? You know, Which industry verticals are getting targeted? I think in terms of the victims, it's pretty much across the board because a challenge which is existing for financial services, you know, those are different challenges as compared to the challenges that a manufacturing industry would face. There are some commonalities, but the priorities change a bit, right? In terms of the data that they have, in terms of the protection that they have, in terms of the maturity that they have, and that all comes from the regulatory push perspective as well. Now, when you talk about the victims, I think between even organizations of smaller size versus even large organizations, we define that. I think we see that even the smaller organizations are getting hit. Now, if I can give you a particular statistic from a smaller organization perspective, I can tell you that they are equally getting hit as far as the breaches are concerned. So from the perspective of uh, small medium businesses, we had like a decent number of incidents, 407 incidents and 221 confirmed data breach disclosures. Uh, but top patterns in the Small businesses are web applications, everything else, and miscellaneous errors. Again, 70% of the breaches in small, medium enterprises actually represent this particular segment. If you talk about the tactics, you know, in terms of the tactics, I think majority of it is hacking. Uh, 45% of the breaches in a featured hacking, 22% included social attacks. I think that's a big one, which continues to grow in numbers and volumes with respect to, like I said, phishing and business email compromises getting wider and much more common across the board. Who seems to be behind these breaches? I think, you know, traditionally we've had a problem with attribution in uh, the industry. Has anything improved on that front? Well, I think attribution is a very, very difficult ball game. to be honest. It's very easy to, you know, name and shame a particular group or a country or a state actor. I think what we see is in terms of the actors, you know, as we define in the data breach investigation report, you know, the A4 grid, who is the threat actor, which is first A, the second A is the action that the threat actor took, the third A is the asset that was compromised, and the fourth A is the attribute of the asset that was compromised. I think in terms of actors to specific, um, I would say, you know, organized crime is uh, accounting for about 55% of the total breaches that we see. Nation state or state affiliated actors contribute to a decent number, I would say 10 to 15% of the breaches are attributed to those actors. And then of course, there is a lot of insider threats that we see from a system administrators and end user perspective. So Ashish, you spoke a bit about the regional nuances or the regional research that has been done into cybercrime in this edition of the report. What are some regional trends that stand out that you can share with us? Does the data suggest anywhere that any particular region is receiving more attention than others from threat actors? I think that's a good point. So I think with respect to the regional nuances, I can tell you that Asia-Pacific 
has its own problem. So, we, you know, we have compared four regions, like I mentioned earlier. And if you talk about Asia-Pacific, I think majority of the breaches that we see in Asia-Pacific have the, the attacker motivation as financial. So 63% of breaches involve financially motivated attackers. If you talk about espionage, I would say uh, the, the percentage is obviously smaller as compared to financial motivation. But from our data set, it is the highest across the board in terms of uh, the, all the regions, right? So Asia-Pacific has that particular motive angle in the breaches where it shows uh, quite a significant number. I think it, if I'm not wrong, 39% of the breaches actually represent espionage motive behind them. I think the other main things that emerge from an Asia-Pacific perspective is given that it's a region which is starting to get some regulations with respect to data security and privacy, I think it's a long way to go as far as reporting is concerned. And that's why you see sometimes, you know, um, a less number of breaches doesn't mean that Asia-Pacific isn't attacked as much as, uh, you know, America's or U.S. region as such, right? I think that that is one factor that we need to keep in mind. Having said that, I would still say that the main problems for Asia-Pacific-based organizations continue to be hacking using stolen credentials or exploited vulnerabilities against web applications. And I think I would say even uh, things related to social engineering attacks and also quite a significant number, 15% of the breaches involved internal errors, which is again goes back to the misdelivery and misconfiguration aspect that I mentioned. So, you know, given the times we live in right now, this discussion would not be complete if we did not mention COVID-19. So I know that time period is outside the scope of the report itself, right? But what are some of the landscape changes that you are seeing that you can share with me and the audience? Yeah, sure. I think uh, COVID-19, of course, an unprecedented situation, the pandemic, uh, the way it has really shaken the entire business as usual, how enterprises used to operate and govern the data. I think this has significantly changed and changed beyond anticipation. I think we have started to see, because I obviously lead the investigative response unit for Asia Pacific, we have already starting to see increased uptick in number of business email compromises, we have seen uptick in terms of incidents that are initiated from a phishing perspective. I would actually call out very clearly one of the remote access methods that obviously you know are established from a VPN perspective to enable work from home for most of the organizations, you know their employees. A lot of organizations were not ready for that change. In fact, they had a they had a lot of organizations had policies not to even allow work from home, and because of this COVID nineteen situation, they suddenly had to hush it up and do it in a chaotic environment, which obviously is not the conducive environment to enforce security controls, I think security has taken a backseat to a certain extent. I do hope that organizations have taken adequate steps to increase visibility because that's another that's another challenge I would say. One is obviously the complexity and chaos that has emerged, you know, because of COVID nineteen and in between all that chaotic environment, organizations have gone for work from home, you know, opening firewall policies, opening, you know, remote access, VPN sometimes with or without multi-factor authentication. And then coupled with that, a lot of remote access technologies being used, which may not have been patched in the past, right? And uh, that's again gives you, gives the attackers uh, another exposure point to actually, uh, you know, kind of exploit um, from an organization standpoint to actually, you know, meet their objectives. And I think that's where, that's where I think the most of the concern would lie that I don't think organizations were ready for this, of course. And I think the best thing that they could do is to increase visibility and to increase detection capabilities because not everything can be stopped uh, using prevention-based controls. I think detection and response would really play an important role. 
Understood. I think that's an interesting point, right? Uh, security has never been more important, but at the same time, it's also taking a backseat because enablement and functionality is more important in the current situation. So I think let's let's uh, bring this home. So let's come to the last segment of our discussion, which is around challenges and recommendations for practitioners, right? I mean, you have been involved in many a breach investigation yourself and are at the pole face, literally, as far as the research data for this report is concerned. To your mind, what are some of the most common challenges emerging on the defender side? And what are some recommendations that you can share? Yeah, thank you very much, Varun. I think there are a few things that emerge. In fact, we have spoken about this in the report and we have tried to align some of our findings and what are the countermeasures that organizations can take with respect to critical security controls from CIS. I think a few things I'll call out. One is about to really understand secure configurations, you know, ensuring and verifying that systems are configured with only the services and access needed to achieve their function, right? So that again is obviously a critical security control and I won't get into the numbers CSC5 and CSC11. Similarly, you know, there are things which are from a gateway standpoint, understand that a lot of organizations are moving towards cloud. So I think from an email and web protection perspective, I think this is absolutely heightened state of controls are required to protect organizations on the email and web traffic. So I think technologies or procedures or processes that can really help them do that would really go a long way to protecting a organization's data and systems. And I would maybe call one or two more. I think uh, data protection is in itself something that I always have been a strong advocate for. You know, we can implement a lot of data center security controls, but end of the day, what really matters is data-centric security, right? You must make sure that you control access to the sensitive information by making sure you have very strong inventory of the same asset inventory as well as encrypting sensitive data or even eliminating the storage of such data if not required, limiting access to authorized uh, cloud and email providers and such, I think. And then, of course, from a personnel security controls perspective, I think security awareness, not only for employees, but very importantly for senior management. I mean, you can hear all the breaches and how organizations really sometimes fail miserably to actually manage the situation because, you know, I would, sorry, I'm using a cliche here. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when, right? So I think the, the sooner there is a mindset of assumed breach that goes into the senior management thought process, I think the better it is. And from that perspective, it's always, you know, plan in advance because failing to plan is planning to fail. Great note to end that discussion on Ashish. As always, pleasure speaking with you and thank you for your insight. Thank you very much, Varun. So that was Ashish Thapar, who is Managing Principal APJ with Verizon Business. For ISMG, this is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening.